future? Well, I want to ask you one question uh, this morning, and that is why? We as a staff studied a book a few years ago, uh, Start With Why, by Simon Sinek. And as we studied that book, we began to to understand that church people will respond a lot better when they understand the reason why. Why do we have a deacon's ministry? Why do we have a, a greeter's ministry? And why is that hospitality ministry so important to a church? Why is it that we have small groups? Once you understand that, then you join a small group. Well, we ask ourselves the question this morning, why did Jesus Christ tell us who was coming back again? And as he told us that, and he told us uh, the signs of the times, why did he bother with that? What is he trying to motivate us to do? I remember a few years ago, in fact, in 2017, at the first of the year, we went through the book of Revelation on Sunday night. Some of you may remember that. And we went nine weeks studying the book of Revelation, and I came to the same applications every single week. In fact, I even said that about midway through. I said, the only applications we see here are two things. What two things are they? We're going to be looking at that in this passage, because as we study this passage today, we're really talking about the actual second coming of Christ, where he actually touches down on earth, the millennial reign, and what's going to happen uh, in future and eternity. In fact, We've been looking at this graph every week. I've preached here and grateful for Daryl bringing the message last week. But notice here you have the creation. God created the heavens and the earth. The Old Testament period, the cross. Then the church age, which we're in right now. The next thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. You have seven years uh, of, of tribulation. The last three and a half years really describe the book of Revelation. And then the second coming of Christ, new heaven and new earth. Now on this chart you will not see any kind of detail about what happens at Revelation 19 when Jesus Christ comes back and thereafter. I just said new heaven and new earth. This passage really looks toward that. In fact, one of the few passages in the Bible that really talk about the thousand-year reign of Christ here on earth and what it means to us. And so as we're looking at that in this passage beginning in Matthew 25, verse 31, we will discover the two motivational things that Jesus is trying to motivate us to realize and to do before Jesus Christ comes back again. I want us to look at this morning at the power of his arrival, the proof of his faith, our faith, and the purpose of his warning. First, verse 31, we can find, first of all, the power of his arrival. Look with me in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now, this is the second coming. He's going to come in glory. What does glory mean? Well, a lot of, it means a lot of things. Majesty, but it also means to magnify. And so the magnification of Jesus Christ, suddenly the whole world's going to know he's back. And he's touching down on the Mount of Olives. There's the difference. Zechariah tells us on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. We said the rapture of the church takes place. We're going to meet him in the air. But the second coming, he actually comes down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Now, when he was saying all this, keep in mind, he was on the Mount of Olives. And then we understand the ragtag group of people that were around him, including the 12 disciples, later become apostles. 11 of them, at least, would become apostles. So they were gathered around him, dust on their feet. They're kind of dirty. The people right now that were planning on betraying Jesus and uh, arresting him were planning that even at this moment that was going on. 
And so here he was talking about this glorious appearing. He said, it's going to be so glorious, the angels are going to come with him. Then we, he will sit on his glorious throne. This is the first time he is admitted to being a king. Now, the parables will talk about a kingdom and a king, those stories that he told, but coming right out and say, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to sit on a throne. What's he talking about? He's talking about the millennial reign of Christ, explained a little bit to us in Revelation chapter 20. When Jesus comes down, the millennial reign will take place. And those who are left that survive the tribulation, both those that are saved and those that are lost, will be on this earth and they will multiply. They're going to be able to give birth and to multiply the population once again over that thousand years. And then we, which have been raptured, in other words, we, the dead in Christ rise first. We are alive and remain. We'll be caught up together with him in the air. We will come down with him and reign on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But we'll be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So Satan is bound during this time, the Bible tells us, and he is uh, off the scene. And you think, hey, great, no more sin. No more sin whatsoever, but sin is rare. But we find that there's a rebellion at the end of the thousand years. Satan then is cut loose, which tells us something about our heart. Now, we can always say, well, the devil made me do it. You know, the devil made me do it. And certainly there's temptation there. Certainly there's spiritual warfare there. But even during the millennial reign of Christ when Satan is bound, there's some sin still in the world that Jesus is dealing with, which tells us something about our heart. And that's the reason God makes us responsible, and not just the devil responsible, but us responsible for the things that we do in life. Well, here we find in this next few verses the real first application of the second coming of Christ, what God wants us to do. How do we apply this? Look with me in the proof of our faith. Look in verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right, goats on the left. Now, in the Bible, every time you place something on the right, it's, it's right. It's where the power of the hand of God, the power of God. And so from this little parable that he's giving, we can find that these that are on the right, we'll find out in just a moment a little clearer, are those that are saved. And he says on the left, he's going to put others, the goats on the left, representing those who are not believers. Now, here's in the end times, the rapture of the church takes place. The church is going to be gone, but the Bible says in the book of Revelation, there are going to be two witnesses and 144,000 Jews sealed upon the forehead with the seal of God that are going to be preaching the gospel. And many of those who have never heard the gospel up to that time, as the Bible says, the end will not come until the whole, all the nations hear the gospel. Well, they will be preaching the gospel, and there will be actually people left on this earth through the tribulation period with all that goes on, bowls of wrath, trumpets, all that. They'll survive that, both saved and lost. Well, he says this. On the right hand is the power of those who've been saved. Now, how do we know that? I mean, how do we tell sometimes if a person's saved? Somebody says, well, I, I invited Jesus in my heart, and it says right here in, in 1 John uh, 5, uh, 11 through 13, that all I've got to do is pray this prayer and I will have assurance of salvation. Well, 1 John has a lot to say about assurance of salvation. But as we read this passage, we're going to look at it and we're going to say, well, it seems like to me our works save us. But I want you to notice this next verse. Then the king will say to those who are on the right hand, come, 
You are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So even from the foundation of the world, before the, the first sin occurred, Jesus began to prepare a place for us. John 14, it says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I come again, I'll receive you into myself that where I am, there you may be also. This word preparedness had to do with something that was continually done. Jesus was still preparing it while he was here on earth. But it started way back in eternity before the very first sin and, I might add, before the very first work. So we know there's something else to it. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's God's generosity. I'm just giving it to you. It's a free gift. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. You know, if I could earn heaven on my own, I could brag about it when I get to heaven, and I wouldn't need Jesus Christ as my Lord. But notice, he says this, verse 35. For I'm, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer them, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? We find here from the Scripture something very puzzling. Instead of saying, instead of Jesus saying, look, you'll, you'll know you're on the right hand because you prayed this prayer and you've been baptized. Or, you know, you took the Lord's Supper a lot. And that's the reason why you're, you're in this, this group over here. Or you went to church a lot. Man, you were just real faithful to church. Nothing like that at all. It says, it, it looks like a social gospel. You know, look, the reason why you're over here, it looks like it's saying, is because you've done all these things. You know, notice six things. You were hungry. I, somebody, I was hungry. You fed me. One of the funniest stories I've ever heard happened in church. True story. This uh, preacher was, uh, this pastor was always good about coming back with a joke. And by the way, the 930 crowd laughed at this, so I'm really dependent on you here. Um, and he was preaching away, and he always had something to, you know, he's funny all the time, just funny. Always had a comeback. And this fly was flying around the church, and everybody kind of noticed it. And finally, he was preaching, opened up his mouth real wide, and the fly went right down the throat. True story. And everybody looked like, what is he going to do now? And he pulled this verse out, and he says, I was hungry, and he fed me. <laughs> he was a stranger, and I took him in. That was a sharp guy. But here we find six things, hunger, thirst, stranger, nakedness, sick, prison, he says, you, as you did it to them, you're really doing it to me. And he says, the least of these. He goes on to say, the least of my brothers. And he's really talking specifically about the disciples. Keep in mind this. He's talking about the end of time. He's not saying, well, at the end of time, all of us, you and I, are going to be either the sheep or the goats. He's going to separate. These are people, the nations. It says uh, with me in verse 32, the nations come to him. And as the nations are coming to them, it's people that survived the tribulation period. It's not everybody. It's just those who remain on the earth. Some on the right, some on the left. And it looks like, again, it's all about the works, but it's not. It's, he says, you're going to know how I know this? He said, you know how you're going to know it? Because this is the lifestyle that people are going to live. They're going to give a giving lifestyle without even noticing it, without even realizing it. And the people over here will realize, they think, well, I've done a few things. I've 
been involved in philanthropy and I've given, I've, I've done this a little bit. He said, that's not your heart though. It's not a way of life that you're involved in. In 1 John, I mentioned a few moments ago, we find some verses that give us assurance of salvation. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son does not have life. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, we pray that prayer. We think, well, I know it right there. It says so, 1 John 5, 13. I'm just claiming that verse. Well, what else does it say in that same book of the Bible? The apostle John was saying, look, if you're really a Christian, you're going to obey God. 1 John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And in chapter 5, he says these commandments are not a burden to us. There's rules. You know, every, every kingdom has rules. And you understand those rules. You understand the why behind those rules. It's, it's all good for you. And you just want to obey God. You want to do the right thing because your heart's been changed. 1 John 2 says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In him there is no cause for stumbling. You're going to want to know, love your neighbors yourself. That's just a way of life. That's your heart. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, I, I, oh, I just love culture and I want to, I still want to come to church, still want to read the Bible occasionally, but I really want to live in the world. God says, no, that's not, that's not the heart of a sheep. By this, you know, we abide in him and he in us because he has given to us his spirit. 1 John 4.13. How do we know? Well, okay, yeah, we pray that prayer or we come forward in the service or we just, in our mind, in our heart, we just say, God, I'm on the throne of my life and I'm coming down off the throne and I'm receiving you and I'm putting you on the throne of my heart and life. What happens to us? The Bible says the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of our heart and the heart, mentioned over 900 times in the New Testament, talks about, or 900 times in the Bible, talks about the causal core of who you are. Now, let me tell you how important that is. There's a verse in the Bible, in Psalm 51, that talks about David's repentance. He had sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, had him killed, and it was just a horrible thing. And no one much knew about it until the prophet Nathan came to him. He got convicted, and he asked God for forgiveness. And in Psalm 51, he pens out his forgiveness, and he says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's an interesting word about this word create. There's two different words, Hebrew words for create, Hebrew being the original language of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Hebrew words for create in the Old Testament. One is the, the word barak, and it means to create something out of nothing. The other word means to make something. In other words, you had something already created, and you make something outside of it. The word barak was used when God says, let there be light, for example. And there was no light, but all of a sudden there was light. He, he took nothing and made light out of it. But the Hebrew word for making man is a different word because he took dust of the ground, he, he took something and formed it into something else. This word for create in me a clean heart, O oh God, is the word barak, which means to create something out of nothing. So God is not taking our old heart and he says, you know, look, here, here's your causal core of who you are. And I'm going to mold this and change this and, and, and change it around. Nope. He takes that art, heart out and gives us a new causal core. A new heart. 
And when we have that new heart, we're going to look at life in a different way. That, therefore, the Apostle Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. Things have become different for us, and so we look at life different, live life different, and that's why right after Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, when the Apostle Paul says, you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. He says this very next verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I've shared with you before that after, you know, good time after the Bible was written, the plagues hit Rome, and many of the people just headed out of town and went up into the wilderness because these plagues were very contagious. They left their young behind. They left their old behind. They left anyone that was diseased. They didn't want anything to do with these plagues. The people who stayed behind were the Christians. And they not only took care of their own, but they also took care of others as well. There was a difference in their life. I saw a movie on television this past week about Desmond Dobbs, who was in the Army as a conscientious objector and a medic, and the movie was called Hacksaw Ridge. And here was a young man that was a conscientious objector. He didn't want to pick up a gun. He almost killed his brother when he was young, and then oh, a few years later almost killed his dad. So he wouldn't pick up a gun anymore. And so he goes into the army. They try to run him out of the army because they didn't want him to be on the battlefield without a gun. And that's understandable. But through a series of events, he got there. And they climbed up Hacksaw Ridge, climbed up this net to go up on this uh, ridge to fight the Japanese on, on the, um, uh, near uh, Okinawa. And this young man, with everybody getting bombed, everybody getting shot, kept going back over and over and over again. The only one left up there that was still able-bodied. And he saved 75 different soldiers before he was done. 75 lives. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor for it. Why wouldn't he pick up a gun? Well, I've explained part of that. But part of it was he was a, he was a believer. He was a Christian. And he didn't want to kill anybody. He'd almost done that twice. And it, it moved him. He was a, why did he go, keep going? Why didn't he just climb down, climb down the net himself the way everybody else did? Because in his heart, it was changed. He had a compassion for those who were left up on the ridge. He had compassion for those who were crying out. He heard the cries of those, save me, help me, help me. And he kept going back and he said, God, one more, just one more, just one more. And all night long, all night long, he just kept going back, lowering them down himself through a pulley that he was actually the pulley as he was lowering them down. For others to get. A life change. When you and I have Jesus in our heart, things have changed. D.A. Carson said this, number one, he said, the sheep and the goats are not surprised at the judgment rendered, but at the basis of it, the way they have treated Jesus. He said in um, verse uh, 37, the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when he did, he see, you see a stranger and welcome him or naked and clothe you. And when, he, and when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Notice they were, they were kind of surprised. What do you mean You? Now, this is going on during the tribulation period. So much was going on. So many 
so many, um, oh, just read the book of Revelation. It's horrible. The judgment of God and, the, and what happens to this earth. And yet these people were hanging in there helping. And the goats, on the other hand, were actually going after the ones that were for God. And the strange thing about this is, as we just read on, let me read a couple more verses. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, because prepared for the devil and his angels, talking about the great white throne judgment of God, the final judgment, Revelation 20. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. They will answer and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, etc.? Verse 45, then he will answer saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. They were surprised. When did we do that? When are you talking about? A total, total shock. Uh, you know, we were persecuting these so-called godly people who were going by the Bible but they were thinking they were doing a favor for God during the whole time. So much delusion is in the last days. So many lies are told in the last days that people start believing things that simply are not only not true, but just the opposite of the truth. They were surprised. D.A. Carson goes on to say, this is not a works righteousness. The actions reflected the heart attitude behind them. The scholar also says the test here eliminates the possibility of hypocrisy in that the actions of each group has demonstrated the true condition of their hearts. And so we look, and we see our changed heart. You see the, the film just a few moments ago, the video, 13 men signing their life. What in the world would possess them to do such a dumb thing? They, they, could have lost, they didn't lose their home. God, God provided, but they could have. Man, that just doesn't seem logical at all what would possess them to do that jesus christ had possessed them to do that what about us leading now brother barry mentioned one person being saved in every week of his minute he met children one child has been saved every single week of his ministry on average but we've had five thousand baptisms here Right, right now, we, have, we see a burden for the lost. We started a church in Haiti, and we've reached over 100 people already in a year down there. We couldn't go ourselves, but we're sponsoring through Compassion International. One of the pastors there, one of the churches there, those kids are going to grow up. They're going to learn about the Word of God. They're going to learn how to operate in the world, how to live in the world through Christ. Why? Because we have a, a burden for that. Our middle school right now is sharing the, the gospel all year long. They've got these little love locks they put on a fence. And it comes from Paris where they have this, that fence over the bridge. And every time a, a couple comes over the bridge and they're in love, they put a little love lock on the, uh, the, uh, on the fence. So every time a middle schooler shares the gospel, they put a little lock on that fence. We're about reaching people because we care about people. Now, there's one thing I want you to learn from this about the second coming. Why did, God, why did God put it right here as the first one? That we would be ready. All through here, he says, wait, watch, be ready. Be ready for the second coming of Christ. And I know what you're thinking, oh, but pastor, how can you really be ready? I might be at the wrong place at the right time. Well, you're going to be embarrassed, but you're still going to be ready. 
Yeah, but I might be doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. I might have a bad attitude. I might be yelling and screaming at somebody. I mean, you're kind of yelling and screaming at us today, but that's okay. This is a good yelling and screaming, okay? This, this is a good I, I don't mean to do that. I'm just excited. Now, he says, what about that? Listen, you're ready because you've received Jesus Christ into your heart. You can't get any more ready than that. We're not perfect. We're not going to live a perfect life. When he comes back, the question is, are you going to be a sheep or a goat? Now, you say, well, that's about the tribulation. But, yeah, we can apply it today. It's the same criteria. Do you have a heart change because you've received Jesus Christ? If you have, you are ready. You're ready. But there's a second application. And the second application is this. Are you ready, and are you getting as many people ready as possible to come with you? That's it. We all have people in our life that we want to witness to. I recall the story of a man that was going for a, a Christian that was going for an interview to get a job. And the CEO, was very, he, had a, he had a method in his madness, I guess, and he put his feet up on the desk just talking to the guy about his family, about his hobbies. And all of a sudden, he'd interrupt him, just come right out of the blue and say, what are your greatest goals in life? And he'd stump them every time. And this guy looked at him and said, to go to heaven and to take as many people as possible with me. Boom. Right off the bat, he knew what his calling was really all about. I want you to notice here in verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I mentioned a few moments ago about the warning of it all and how in the book of Revelation, I kept coming back to the same two basic applications. Be ready, get other people ready. The time is short. Who do we know that needs Jesus Christ? Because once he comes back, everything's too late for those who have already heard which is pretty much everybody in America. So who do we know that need to be saved? Listen, I, I share with you something that you're capable of doing. You know, we, we've got a smart church, smart people in this church. We've got some capable people in this church. Listen, if you've ever given a sales presentation, for example, you can witness if you've ever uh, talked to someone about their problem, you can witness. If you've ever shared with someone, vented with someone maybe about your problem, you've communicated that, you can, you can share Christ. You can share your own personal testimony in Christ. You can share, if I, I'm going to do this afternoon. We're going to have dinner with the pastor. We invite you to come and uh, sign up on the card, the welcome card this morning or at the welcome desk. You can still come. We have a meal for you, and then I, I share my testimony. Now, I'm going to be sharing what happened before I was, received Christ, how I was feeling, the, the things leading up to that. Then secondly, how I came to know Christ. And then thirdly, what has happened in my life since? I mean, I had a problem. Jesus answered the problem. Now, how, how did he do that? In other words, how did he solve that problem? That's all you have to do. Your, your testimony. And then the gospel story. We can share with you. Right now, in fact, we have a class going on. A class going on sharing with you how you can share your faith. I mean, you can do this. You really can. If you are ready, if you are a Christian, then you have a story to tell. And no one can refute your story. You have a story to tell. And once people are open to that, then they're open to the real reason, the stuff behind the testimony, and that is the gospel presentation. Now, all we do here, folks, is redemptive. If you put money in the offering plate, then you have a vested interest 
And every single person, those 5,000 plus people that we have baptized, plus probably about that many overseas, you've got a vested interest in that. If you've served in this church and you've taught somebody, greeted somebody, somebody felt welcome and they eventually came in and they received Christ, you have, you, you're part of that. We're all in this together. Everything we do is redemptive. However, to be part of the harvest, man, that is, that's something special. It just, it's just something special. It's like, I mean, it's not quite like a birth of a child, but, it, but it's kind of like that. I remember the first time I shared Christ, I was challenged, actually, by this uh, youth guy. And he was, um, you know, I was in college at the time, but we all kind of went to the same group. And he said, look, I'm going to give you five survey cards. That's what they were, survey cards. And five uh, gospel booklets called the Four Spiritual Laws. I want you to witness to five people this month. So I took the packet. Well, I didn't know anybody, nobody else was going to do it. So I, you know, I thought everybody was going to do it. So I did, you know, I think a few people did. But I took those and I said, wait, I got I to gotta share Christ. I mean, after all, Jesus changed my life. That time in my life, it had already come to a point of really following Jesus. Not quite called to the ministry, but I was really falling hard. That's what I needed to do. God, you know I need to do this. I, I can do this. So I went through that booklet and I practiced and I read through it a few times Went up, and the first people, uh, uh, first group of people I witnessed to was including my, my older sister. Those people received Christ, including my sister. And I remember the first time, I mean, I mean, that little booklet was shaking, and I thought I knew it, but I had to keep looking back at it all the time. But they saw my nervousness, and especially, I know she must have seen it, and thought, to, man, this must be really something important. This is like torture for him, kind of torture for us. But torture for him. The next people I witnessed to, it was a little easier, but I was still kind of nervous. A guy named Gary. He and his wife, Gary grew up in our church, but I knew he wasn't a believer. Went over to his house, shared Christ with him, received Christ. I'm telling you, I, I was hooked after those five presentations. I was just hooked. Wow, to see someone come from death to life. It's, it's just unbelievable, the blessing that is. Now, I'm not saying it's not a blessing to, to serve somewhere in the church so you can prepare people to do that. It's, a, it's kind of a long, you might say, an extended period of blessing because you're pouring into someone's life. It's a, it's a blessing to disciple someone, to share with them how to grow, like in our foundations class. But this is kind of all at once. You know, it's one thing to drink a cup of coffee all day long. And it's another thing to take a monster drink and dump it down at one time. All of a sudden, boom, you know, you're, it's just different. And when you share Christ as someone gets saved, man, it's just like that monster drink. It's the joy coming in all at one time. I'd love for you to be a part of that. You can be. You can do this. There's someone in your, in your life right now. There's someone that you're thinking of right now. You know, I don't share Christ with them before the end of the year. Yes, God's laying that on your heart. That's what you should do. Well, maybe I can't share Christ with them at first, but maybe I can invite them to church. Once I invite them to church, and by the way, churches don't reach people much for Christ unless you invite people. They just don't. So you invite somebody, and they hear the gospel just like they're hearing it today. And you go out to lunch, and what do you think about that? So I thought that pastor was just an idiot. But what, 
How about what he said? Oh, I thought what he said was pretty good. You know? And you get the chance to share Jesus. You know, God can make not only a difference in their life, but in your life as well. What, what is the calling to all this? The calling to the second coming of Christ is not just simply knowing some facts about what's going to happen in the future. It's saying, wow, I need to be ready. And I need to get other people ready. The people that I love, and who are the people that you love? Well, if Jesus Christ lives in your heart, the Holy Spirit is there in your heart, you love them all. And yeah, you may have to use a bridge to feed them, to give them something, and, and that's what that is. That those are bridges. How can you share Christ with someone who has a hungry stomach? Listen, I believe in, in reaching out to people. We're going to have we're going to have something pretty soon here in December called Come and Get It, and we're going to give away $10,000 worth of stuff to the clothing and, and all that to the, the poor of this, of this area. Just give it to them. I believe in that, but it's a bridge. Because you can give somebody a meal and, and you can help them along, but if you don't help them for eternity, what are you doing? When it says here, go away internal punishment, away from the presence of God and away from righteousness and nothing but evil and darkness. What are you doing for them, really? Oswald Chambers said this, when we choose to obey God, he will tax the remotest star and the last grain of sand to assist us with his almighty power. Why did Jesus tell us about his coming? So you be ready. How do you get ready? Get ready by receiving Jesus. How do you get other people's people ready? By sharing Jesus with them, and they receive Christ. And them receiving Christ may not be our responsibility, but sharing Jesus with them certainly is. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.